Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Care, the 180 Degrees of Impact podcast. We are here in Washington, D.C. Uh, to record a conversation about women, impact, and the stories we tell. I'm Matt Scott, but as we get started, I would love if this group could introduce themselves to the 180 Degrees of Impact audience. We want to start over here with you, Stephanie. Sure, my name is Stephanie Foster, and I have worked for many years on issues around women and girls, both internationally and domestically. I do that now with my a company that I have called Smash Strategies, but I'm very interested in how we tell the stories about women and their impact on the world, and how we learn about our history through that, and how we uplift these voices so that we know there are women who've come before us, and we can learn from them. So I'm really happy to be here. Hi, I'm Dolores Wilson, Head of Strategy and Operations at Beacon, the DC Women Founders Initiative, and an Inclusive Innovation Fellow at Georgetown Law's Tech Institute. So my focus is really on diversity and inclusion in the startup ecosystem. How do we support women business owners? How do we share the stories of all women business owners? And how do we empower them to really lead the lives that they choose, uh, despite the, the roadblocks and boundaries that may be in the way? So honored to be here and excited to share some of our experience in this space. Hi guys, my name is Annalisa Vandenberg and I'm a graphic designer and visual journalist. A few years ago I founded this series called Miles of Portraits where I biked across America and I took a picture of the people who I met along the way because I found that the best part of bicycle touring is really the people. Especially following the presidential election, it was just very refreshing to experience like firsthand the, the kindness that exists across this country. So my friend Eric and I are hoping to take this series around the world. Hi everyone, I'm Rachel McKnight and I've worked in communications and public diplomacy for quite a while and I'm interested in examining how storytelling can bring us together and bring about change and empower women. Awesome, thank you and thanks for the introduction. To preface this podcast with more of just why I'm really eager to get into this conversation. For me, as someone who has a podcast and is focused on interviewing people and telling stories, I'm, I find myself being really conscious of the demographics of everyone I'm interviewing. So I'm thinking, am I representing the people that I want to represent? Which is a lot more voices than are normally represented in the conversations that we have. And a huge piece of that is gender. And I want to know as someone who is telling stories, as a storyteller, how could I be better at that, but also how could others who are not in the room having this conversation with us be better at telling those stories? I'm really curious from all of you how story and gender like intersects with what you do and like if there are any critical issues that that you're focused on when it comes to stories and gender. And maybe we start with you, Rachel. Oh great, yeah, I love that. <laughs> well, you know, I think that um one of my experiences with Senator Mikulski is when she became the longest serving woman in the history of the United States. And there was a real desire among other women to get together with her and hear from her. And I think what we learned over a period of time was that when she told her story, which included incredible moments of vulnerability. So for example, she would talk about when she was young and she had a husky voice and she was embarrassed to speak in front of other people. And her teacher said, you're gonna go on the debate club. 
And she turned out to be one of the absolute favorite um, and most followed speakers on the floor of the United States Senate. So for a group of women who are starting out, and maybe in politics, but maybe in business, or maybe they want to be PhDs, but as they start out to hear a voice from another woman who had had obstacles and to be vulnerable about it and to share those lessons, it created a shared experience and an openness to hearing about the lessons. And I thought we traveled around um, not only the national capital region, but around the country. And I thought it was a really powerful way to connect. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to stick with that topic, that idea of how, how we create a space for people to, to feel vulnerable or be vulnerable and share their stories. You mentioned giving that example as one way to do that, and that's something that I've seen too, but I, I'm actually really curious to hear from the, the rest of you, like how you've been able to create spaces that better enable people to tell their stories. And I'm thinking of you, Annalisa, when it comes to uh, a lot of what you're doing, because you have been you know, biking across the country, 4,000 miles, biking all over Alaska, another 1,000 miles, how were you able to create that space? And then I'm also just wondering how, also the initial question, how gender intersects with all of what you've done in, in your words. Right, so one of the things about bicycle touring is that you're, like you're riding this loaded bicycle and you're kind of this, you're always this spectacle when you roll into town. People are, when you lean your bike against the, the wall of the supermarket, people are always coming up to you and asking you like, what are you doing? <laughs> and they're wondering what you're up to and they're asking your life story. And I think especially as, because there were chunks of the trip where I was cycling alone, and especially as a woman, one of the main questions that I got was one, like, you're not out here alone, are you? Like, they would always ask me that. And they would ask me if I was carrying some sort of a weapon, <laughs> um, which actually was just the only weapons that I had were like bear spray for the bears and then <laughs> dog spray. <laughs> but I feel like, there's this fear that people have for us that people are out for us and I think that's just, I found that that's just plain wrong. Like people have asked me at a lot of talks that we've done, kind of the worst thing that's happened to me on my bike trip. And it's really hard for me to like actually think about a moment when I really felt unsafe on the trip. And that's because there's this other bicycle tourist named Olivia Round who has, um, she actually biked from Florida to um, Oregon and she is writing a book about how cycling has kind of made her get over her fear of men. But she's written about the fact that, like, you're, yes, you're very vulnerable, like, you're exposed to the element, but because you're vulnerable, like, it kind of balances out because people are looking out for you and, like, people are on your side. Um, so that's one of the, the main things that I've learned from that. Does that resonate with anyone <laughs> else in the room? Or, or does anything about that? Uh, stick out in particular to, to. Well, I mean, I think something, a point that you said kind of in building this sense of community as you're traveling across the country, kind of connecting with strangers, what is it like to have this exchange of conversation and connect with people that you don't know? That's something that, a theme that we see a lot within our community of business owners here in DC, where the women within the Beacon Network, I think more than anything else, want a sense of community. Mm -hmm. And they, they stress this desire of seeing other people like them who have are in this entrepreneurial journey and trying to find those stories that match with them on their 
development cycle or in their personhood or in their lived experience. Um, and what they're finding is that, well, there's so many stories of, of those who have done it, or maybe not even so many. There are some stories of those who have done it, but where are the stories of those who are doing it um, so that I don't feel alone, so that I know that you know I'm going about this the right way or that I can be motivated to, to keep going. So uh, that's one thing that resonated. A second point, and this actually goes back to an earlier, an earlier point made, something that in my day-to-day -day work that I see um, is this need to, to tell stories around data. A big part of my job too is advocacy, understanding kind of what is the landscape of women's entrepreneurship and then how do I persuade Mm -hmm. folks to do something about it and the numbers are there and they're horrible in terms of the rate at which we're starting and scaling companies and our ability to build businesses on par with male-owned companies and even within uh, within the community of women entrepreneurs themselves we have so many discrepancies in terms of uh, sales and receipts between white women black women Latina women um, and these gaps are growing but what I found is like while I sh I'll shout out these statistics what actually makes someone move is the emotive a response to an actual story. So if I can have a woman entrepreneur tell exactly what it's been like for her, that then will get people to move. And so, but in order to, to have her tell that story, to have her feel empowered enough uh, to speak on that, she needs to feel a sense of community. She needs to feel safe. She needs to know that she's being listened to. And oftentimes that means she needs to see someone like her, someone that she can relate to also doing that. So it's kind of uh, mutually reinforcive. Um, and, and I think that the more we do it, the more it will, it will be done because naturally we're going to want to express ourselves when we can have someone that we can relate to. Yeah, and I think you know, in our in my work over the years, I mean, one thing I worked at the State Department, and I was in a job where it was to really find women's voices around the world and bring them to the foreign policy debate. Whether that was making sure they were in the room when the Secretary of State or another high-level official would travel, or also as we were developing policy. So. An imperative is to develop, you know, economic opportunity for people around the world, and we want to make sure that women are included in that, and that women are part of those discussions, both at the policy level in countries or in the United States, but also that women themselves have that ability to access the, what they need, whether it's, you know, networks or finance. So I think we only do that well when we ensure that policymakers are listening and hearing from women. And it sounds very simple, but I will say I sat in a lot of meetings where we would be planning these big trips for people, high-level officials, and you know, my job was basically to say how many women are going to be in that meeting, how many women are going to be, you know, meeting directly with that high-level official. And I mean, the good news is is I think there was a we did that a lot. But it just takes being purposeful. I um, mean, I think the other thing I would say is that, you know, building on what everyone said, really, that it's really important that we tell diverse stories. And when I say that, I mean diverse in terms of people's ages, their race, their gender, where they grew up, what they do every day, because we all relate to people based on our own experience. And if we're trying to motivate people to be entrepreneurs or participate in public life, you listen differently to people who look like you, right? Or you feel some connection right. to. So I think that's why also it's important to uplift these stories because it helps us broaden the pool of people who then we can bring sort of into whatever issue it is we're working on or whatever we're trying to achieve. 
And it's interesting, to Stephanie's point, um, I think it's really interesting to work with women to encourage them to tell their stories. Because I think many women don't even know that they have stories mm. to tell or that people would want to hear their stories. Because I don't think we're uh, women are raised to have belief in our own stories or our experience. It's different. And so I think that, for example, when we have our delegations come from Mongolia to train them to run for office, we have women come several times a year. And we spend a lot of time talking to them about what is your story. If you're going to run for office, what's your mission? What do you care about? What are your community needs? And what do you bring to the table? What experience, uh, what knowledge of your community, what do you care about? And I think that it's a very moving experience to watch that light come on when someone realizes they do have a story, it does matter, and it is worth sharing, and then working with them on how to share that story. Well, women often think, we often think our work speaks for itself, in, in air quotes, right? And so we don't tell our stories or promote ourselves as much. It's a little different than storytelling, but they're interconnected. And I, I actually think that that's why this is important, is that it's about taking credit in the most positive of ways for what you're doing, for what women are accomplishing. Yeah, I was actually going to ask uh, sort of that question question or the question that might have led to that response potentially which is like what is the current state in the work that you're doing because we have a lot of different perspectives represented whether it is your average American or average Alaskan depending on which miles of portraits magazine you would buy or flip through uh, you have you know the international perspective but also you have the, the perspective that comes from uh, politics and policy in the US and then there's entrepreneurship so like what's the current state and or in other words not to ask a leading question but what are the challenges at this point uh, that you see when it comes to women in story and how the voices of women are currently being represented well I think that diversity and inclusion is a bit of a trend right now and I say that with both a positive and negative connotation. I think it's an opportunity for a lot of great work to be done because we see with the Me Too movement with higher accountability in terms of corporations needing to release data on their stats of women employees or women in leadership. Um, we have activists being vocal about women in the workplace etc. I think this is phenomenal and I think we should ride this wave and take advantage of the sound bites and of the opportunities to, to speak in this space. Where I worry about it though is I think when, with any trend, uh, trends come and go. Mm -hmm. um, and so and I wonder like if we make this too trendy, are we then going to kind of make it then go to second place in a year from now? Well, the problems won't be solved in a year because we're dealing with centuries of, uh, of, of inequalities and centuries of systematic oppression uh, towards women and other marginalized groups. So um, in terms of entrepreneurship, I think kind of the stories that are being told and something that I'm personally looking to in my research is that we were really elevating unicorn companies. We're celebrating, and rightfully so. I mean, women who have founded high-growth, uh, high-scale, usually tech-based companies that have secured over a million in venture capital, like, that is a phenomenal feat. Congratulations, and those stories should be told. But I'm also really interested 
in the minority of women who are starting the everyday business out of necessity, who are building a practice around a past career, mm -hmm. who are leveraging their connections to help support their families. I think we need to talk about those stories as well, which are maybe not as glamorous as, as what you might see on the cover of a magazine, but are really those lived experiences of women every day. And to an earlier point that Stephanie made, when we see those stories being told, we'll be empowered to tell mm -hmm. more of them. Um, so I think so much of this, and, and the women that I come across too, is it's a confidence issue in terms of, you know, well, am I qualified to speak on my story? Like, did I really accomplish right. this? Well, yes, like your ability to multitask uh, as a family, <laughs> in a, running a family and running a business and doing X, Y, Z in the third, like that is a phenomenal feat and we should celebrate mm -hmm. that. So, you know, I, I, I want to see more of us sharing those less glamorous stories, but we have to mm -hmm. empower women with the confidence to do so. Yeah. And I'll say as follow-up, uh, something that came to mind that I didn't even think of from my background is that I worked with about five, six, seven years ago when I was in college, I worked with uh, someone by the name of Kathy Corman Fry who has a project called the Hot Mamas Project, which is a woman's digital case study. So online you can read all these different case studies and stories and in 2013, I was really fortunate to be able to be on her team and work with her on producing a digital event. And I actually just watched it back for the first time in five years, just a few months ago. But the interesting thing to me about that was hearing the stories where it's women saying, like, yes, it was a struggle. Yes, this, this was difficult. And it was really motivational, but it was also like very relatable stories of people facing like mental health issues and other personal things that I think beyond even just women and storytelling that we don't talk about in stories as much. So that just came to mind for me. As a follow-up question to you, Dolores, you talked about showcasing the stories that aren't the unicorn stories or those major success stories where everything's glamorous. How would you recommend someone like me or other storytellers finding, finding stories like that and because they first need to find them to be able to tell them, but I think that's the tough part. It's a lot easier Absolutely. to find the people who are everywhere. Are there. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, so this is yeah. This is a this is a pain point, and this is part of the work that we do at Beacon and building what is now the largest directory of women-owned businesses is to help kind of democratize that space, recognizing that everyone isn't leading with a you know high quality web page and already pitching to media outlets. Uh, some people are really busy running their businesses. So like you have to do the work to find them. Um, I've also found like when we draw down things to a very local level, when we find you know projects that are born out of local accelerator programs or that are published in much smaller uh, publication houses, um, that's where you find really interesting things that haven't yet been picked up by the major news outlets. And so it's really putting yourself in those spaces. You know, where are these women building community? Like, can you, can you be a part of that? Can you join a meetup group? Can you get out of your own social network to connect with people beyond who you already know? Because they're there, but it does, it does require work. It yeah. does require work. Well, I mean, one thing that's a, like the, the kind of story that encapsulates this story problem is that, you know, we all go to a lot of conferences and meetings and often, not so much anymore, but this whole idea of all-male panels, right? Called mantles. And why are there mantles? <laughs> the organizers always say we can't find a woman who knows about tech or about medicine. None of this is true, right? And so there are ways to, first of all, you know, there's an app where you can track who has an all-male panel. And then there are databases, like there's a database called, uh, I think it's womenknowstuff2.com or something like that, where, you know, it's a way to say, 
if you're looking for a woman scientist or a woman engineer or a woman chef, you know, these are people who are um, out there. And I know in our company, because my business partner and I have done this work for a long time, we get emails all the time, do you know a woman in this field or that? And we always answer those and we give people two or three ideas because we don't want to have someone say, I reached out and nobody gave us a name. So I think it's really, part of it is just being purposeful and knowing that, you know, even today, this is an uphill battle. There was an article in the Washington Post a couple of days ago for a woman who went to the American Economics Association conference, and she talked about how there would be co-authors of papers, and the man was on the panel, and the woman would mm. be taking notes in the audience. Mm. And one one guy even said, well, we didn't have enough chairs for, you know, to have mm. her. So I think it's it's a constant struggle. The good news is I think people are so so appalled by that for the most part that I think this is a time for change and for more gathering of these stories, but it's it's hard, right? And you're battling this idea that only men are experts mm -hmm. in certain fields. Like, of course, you could find women teachers or women nurses or whatever, but, you know, this idea that when we are looking at other fields where there have been women for hundreds of years often, by the way, we still don't see that. It doesn't come right to mind, right? I mean, that's the issue. I actually, um, yeah, I was going to ask you, at least, just uh, for your thoughts on that, but also just from your perspective, because um, I, I think you come from an interesting perspective beyond, you know, your background as a visual storyteller, thinking of your travels, you know, I would imagine you, along your journey biking across America or Alaska, are meeting a lot of people who probably don't, it seems like, probably don't think of themselves as a story. I guess for many of them, it's probably the first time that they showed up in a magazine or, or some sort of storytelling piece. So I'm curious from you, like, just your thoughts on, on the conversation of, like, how we better tell a lot of these stories. And then, of course, anything else you have to share <laughs> the floor is, of course, yours. Yeah, I think um, what's special about Miles of Portraits is that it's really, like, the, the people who we interview are really the people who, it's all done by chance, like they're usually the ones who approach us. Um, so we've just found that like, no matter who you are, like everyone has a story to tell. Um, and also um, something that I noticed cycling across the country was um, that there were barely any women cyclists. Like I mm. feel like my, uh, my friend Olivia, who I mentioned earlier, she has a blog about where she just focuses on women who are bike touring and she put out a call out on Facebook like asking for um, any recommendations of women she could interview and it like took me a really long time to like think about the women cyclists who I met across the entire country and I could name them like on one hand which was hmm. crazy because we've, we've met so many cyclists and so I think it's yeah so important to like create those opportunities for women to tell their stories. There's another podcaster, her name is Carrie Gross, and she started a podcast called, um, now I forgot the name of it. <laughs> but, uh, she also biked across America, and she was kind of inspired by the back of a cliff bar, and she read on the back of a cliff bar about um, you know, the founder cliff and like him going on all these adventures with his guy friends and them having all this fun, and she just realized that there, there's not a lot of stories about women and, and the outdoors. And that's why she started this podcast. Um, 
and then the reason why Eric and I actually ended up in Alaska was because um, there's this endurance athlete, uh, bike packer is what they call them. Her name is Leo Wilcox, and she she's actually raced the Trans America Trail, which is 4,300 miles. She she did it in 18 days, which is insane. <laughs> but she's really all about like encouraging more women to get on their bikes, and she put out the Lale Rides Alaska Women's Scholarship and she just invited women from all walks of life to apply and just design their own 1,000 mile route around Alaska. So I think it's like creating opportunities like that to encourage women to get on the road and like the more the more of us there are on the road the less intimidating it's going to be. Yeah, as a follow-up to that, you're on a tour of REI locations now and so I know that you're meeting women and a lot of other well, women and men uh, across the country who are hearing your story. I'm wondering if you've heard a lot a lot of stories when it comes to just people being inspired by what you're doing. By the way, before you answer that, I just want to mention that Carrie Gross' podcast name is Women Who Dare. Thank you. Thank you, Google. Thank you, Google, for allowing that. But yeah, I'm wondering, have you heard that, that feedback kind of building on Rachel's point about the power of those stories to inspire others? Yeah, I think I've definitely met like women at these REI events who have told me that like hearing our talk has really inspired them to to go on their own adventures and I think that is a big roadblock for women just like the idea of cycling alone just terrifies them and I think there just has to be more women on the road. <laughs> yeah I mean I'll also say that to take that specific yeah. example of what you're doing for me like why would I go bike across America or bike anywhere there's a lot of there's a lot of scary stuff out there, especially yeah. when we look at the media and news stories, and that's the dominant narrative when we hear a lot of you know negative things about people. Yeah. And so I think another piece from my perspective that's also really important and something I want to mention is just that with all these stories, I'm sure with even Carrie Gross' podcast, you know, men are also being inspired by that too. And I think that's important because at least from again, from my perspective, of course. I'm always hearing these stories like, you know, like Annalisa's out there and she's inspiring like other women's dudes, but you're inspiring people overall. And that's one thing I think I personally, I wish we had more of when it came to storytelling, like just recognizing that like women are people and also should be listened to by other people and not just by like, not just to be expected to be listened to by other women, but that's me going on my own rant as a podcast host to, get, you know, just mention that. But, um, you know, I really kind of like this point because I think that, you know, women really, there is a mission to uplift each other. And I think we, we make a special effort to reach down and lift up or put our arms around our co-workers and our community members, our fellow, our, our neighbors, you know, wh whatever that is. But I think that there are a lot of really great men who do too. And I think that it's important to recognize, you know, there are great guys like Matt here, or to recognize where we have men who have power or positions or resources who would also be great at lifting up the st stories of women and supporting that, not in a not in a um, uh, public-facing way, but maybe in another way. Maybe they let someone access their network or their or their studio or whatever those things are. And so I think when we're thinking about how do we help women lift up their voices and tell their stories, to remember that there are a lot of really great guys who want to do this too. Yeah. I would say one thing, you know, that I, 
guys can do is if you're in a meeting and you know that there's that classic thing we all say when a woman says something sometimes people don't listen and when a guy says it people think it's a great idea right and so I think there are, I mean women can do it too but it's very powerful if a man says well like Stephanie said or Rachel said or Dolores or Annalise like to make the point that their point was just reiterating what a woman said so that's a little more tactical, right? It's about a day-to-day -day way to make sure a woman's voice is heard, which is a little different than storytelling. Yeah. But still, it's the same idea. Like, we need everybody to say these voices matter, right? These are important voices no matter what you're doing. You know, you're at a meeting, you're starting a business, you're selling your product, you're in politics. Like, these voices matter. Yeah. I guess as, a, as another follow-up to, to this, I'm just wondering, are there other tactical or specific ideas or thoughts of things that people could do, whether it's men in storytelling or women in storytelling or really anyone when it comes to how they're approaching amplifying the voices of women. So that's a great example, Stephanie, for instance, of amplifying the voices of women to connect to the idea of storytelling to this. But other tactical things that you have in mind, Rachel and Lisa, Dolores? I do, I do, because Stephanie and I have actually talked about this, and I think that it's, you know, to not feel like there's a barrier to creating content. So you can, just as a normal human being, if you've started a, like I have, a small consulting company, you can use the social media platforms, you can blog, you, there are lots of things that you can do that are e e inexpensive and easy to access. And it's the creating content, so when people are looking, your story's out there. What you are doing is out there. It shows up as part of the conversation. So I definitely want to second that opinion, um, or that fact, actually, um, in that we are really in the age of information, and uh, you know, it's take ownership of your story before someone else tells it for you. And I think that's really important for women to to remember. Shimamandi uh, Adichie has a really good TED talk on this, on the danger of a single story and kind of the power in using your own voice and telling your own story. And we have so many ways that you can do this low cost, no cost, and pretty, you know, time time sensitive as well. I think a second point too is to find your tribe, you know, to, to find that group of, of women, build a community until you're having that constant exchange. So you're not you're not doing this alone. You're getting this conversation offline. I think, you know, one of my personal uh, goals for 2019 is to have more face-to-face -face conversations. Mm -hmm. We do, we spend so much time online and I think it's a powerful tool to get your message to the masses, but there's also value in those one-on-one face-to-face conversations. So, you know, there's, some people say never eat lunch alone. I like eating lunch alone sometimes, <laughs> but but sometimes it's ha it's like have lunch with some people, right? And yeah. and just use that to, to connect as human beings. I think we got to turn off the phone sometimes and go back to uh, kind of the foundation foundational ways that we communicate and connect. And so I would encourage folks to do that as well. And I would just like to second that because I remember working on the hill and being quite busy and also having a family and being a mom and trying to make those things work. And it is so hard to plan in advance. But especially it depends on kind of what environment you're working in. But it, but it matters so much and it makes such a difference to you both in your personal life but it also makes a difference in your, difference in your professional life. Um, you could be making a connection of someone who will be by your side for 20 years. You could be meeting, You could be having lunch with someone who has a great idea 
about um, something they're doing that also applies to what you're doing. So it's a great use of time. It's really hard to do sometimes, but I think that's an excellent recommendation. And I think it's one of those small steps that you can take that's not overwhelming, is to look at your schedule and pick you know, four, four days a month where you're gonna have lunch mm -hmm. with someone else. Mm -hmm. And then just start filling in your calendar. I mean, one other thing I would say, and as we're, it's January and March, which is coming up is Women's History Month. So this is, you know, I have a, sort of a special thing about the fact that we, uh, there are many, many women who've come before us who've done a lot of things that we don't always acknowledge and recognize, right? Their stories kind of, we discover them and then they fall off the map and we rediscover them constantly. So I think learning history about whatever it is that interests you, what, what women's roles have been. I wrote a piece recently because I gave a bunch of speeches on women in STEM and I was, you know, reminded about Ada Lovelace who was very, she's considered one of the first women uh, computer programmers. I mean, like, very, you know, in the early uh, 20th century, a woman in Britain who was responsible for like how we have bridges that don't fall down, like she actually designed the pillars. We never talk about her. It's and it's not that we need to know their names, but you know, there are people out there who have women out there whose stories we need to know, and and continue to celebrate that because otherwise, you know, I have this thing about. We, are, we always have firsts, but that person may actually be the first person in a job, but they aren't the first person who did that thing, right? They, and so I think we need to look and celebrate the women who've come before us because we're only here because of all those people who've come and to celebrate those stories and try to weave them into the way we talk about what we do. Yeah, finding ways to highlight them I think is really important. Like. I think the New York Times did a piece mm -hmm. on like all the women who were overlooked in past obituaries over mm -hmm. like 100 years. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah, pieces like that would be great. I'll say just for the interest of time, I'm sure we could be here for a lot longer <laughs> having this discussion. But I, <laughs> there's a question that I ask and I laugh because Annalise is familiar with this because I interviewed her for 108 Degrees of Impact for a one-on-one -on -one interview and usually I ask the question uh, like if your life were a book or documentary what would the title be and why and that's actually something I'm really curious to hear from you there's a lot more I know that we don't know about you know your stories Rachel Stephanie Dolores and even Annalisa from this conversation but I'm wondering well first if maybe we could start with Annalisa what your what the title of your story would be Right, I think I'll stick with what I said to you before, which was um, screw someday, um, which is basically just saying like, you know, if you're able to, if, if you have these dreams that you're thinking of and you're kind of saying, oh, like someday I'll, I'll mm. you know, cross that item off my bucket list and if you have the ability to do it now, then you should try. That's great advice. Any other titles come to mind initially? I have one. Keep going. Mm. No matter what, um, if you if you face a, a challenge or a hurdle, keep going. You have a great day. Don't break. Don't take a rest. Just keep going. And I think that you will be surprised of how far just that will take you. Dolores or Stephanie, the tough question putting you on this the spot. Is, this is hard. This is hard. But what's coming to mind right now? I'm trying to like put some 
we've, why this is coming to mind, <laughs> is the question of why don't you? And I think I want to say that because I often, people often ask me, well, how did I do this? How did I make this career switch? How did I get involved in this? And, and I'm always like, well, well, why don't you do that? You know, like why, uh, why haven't you? Why, why aren't you? Um, it's, a, it's the same kind of self-motivation and impetus um, and, and ambition that you too have. Um, so you too can challenge it and, and channel it in a certain way. So, but I, I want to think on that some more. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, a good question. Definitely. <laughs> I think mine would be that, you know, take a lot of steps that are good for sort of moving women forward in general, right? I, I do this work because I believe in it. Um, it also helps me feel that I can contribute, but I also feel like I can, I'm contributing on behalf of a lot of other people uh, and hopefully making more opportunity available for other women. So I guess maybe, you know, my company's name is Smash Strategy, so I guess the title would be like Smashing Through the Barriers or something Ooh, like that. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like you may, maybe someone leaks that question maybe. to you because that's a great title. They're all great titles. <laughs> but uh, thanks again, and I, I'll definitely include links to where people could find great. out more about all of what you're doing. But. Thanks again, Rachel, Annalisa, Dolores, Stephanie, and uh, one thing I really love about your title, Rachel, is that it's keep going, and as I say at the end of each of my 100 Degrees of Impact interviews, keep impacting. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again. And thank you. Thank no, you. Thank you. Thank this you. is good. Thank you everyone for tuning in to this very special edition of Let's Care, the 180 Degrees of Impact podcast. I have so many thank yous to give and so little time. First and foremost, I want to thank Jade Liam Tarascal, otherwise known as Jade Wasabi, for providing this music, the song Bleem Shroom Forest, off of her original soundtrack, Dragon Fin Soup. Check it out. And I also want to again thank Dolores Wilson of Beacon, Stephanie Foster of Smash Strategies, Rachel McKnight of Sycamore Strategies, and Annalisa Vandenberg of Miles of Portraits for being part of this podcasting journey. It was so fun to do it, and I appreciate all of you so much. If you want to learn more about them, check out the show notes right after this podcast concludes. Finally, I just want to thank all of the women who have been part of the 180 Degrees of Impact journey. Jackie Biederman, Anita Krakowska, Regina Northhouse, Laura Doyle, Mae McCarmo, Rocky Capizzi, Vivian Luke, Cassandra Lamb, Mary McVeigh, Donia Sherman, Lindsay Scott, Maura Kolkmeyer, Juliana Castro, Nisha Katecha, Jade Liam Tarascal, Marilyn Mosley Gardinier, Jivika Rajani, Sonia Eliason, Alessandra Clara, Tato Litsomo, Tanya G.J. Prince, Delaney Henderson, Ben Kayla Haynes, Yushin Velizadeh, Kanuma Simmons Asanison, Tara Subramaniam, Georgina Wilson, Annalisa Vandenberg, Precious Stroud, Christina Moreno, Jessica Villa, Sakia Malawi, Sarah Rice Patterson, Reva Greenberg, Lale Bakhtiar, and Cindy Chen. Thank you so much for being part of 180 Degrees of Impact. And as I say at the end of each and every one of these interviews, other than please rate, review, and subscribe, keep impacting. <laughs>